Welcome to Seekers and Scholars, a podcast from the Mary Baker Eddy Library in Boston and online at mbelibrary.org. I'm Jonathan Eder, your host. Today in many parts of the United States, the issue of housing insecurity is of great concern. Here in Boston, political debate and discussion around housing dominated the recent mayoral election. In a June 4, 2021 article, the Christian Science Monitor explored the issue of doubled-up families, that is, individuals and families who are sheltered in other people's homes. Often they have gone unrecognized as a portion of the population who are homeless. But in many ways, this is not a new issue. Mary Baker Eddy, who founded the Christian Science Monitor news organization in 1908, might well have been able to identify with many aspects of the article in its discussion of people who find themselves in this situation, where they have a roof over their head, but without a place of their own. Eddie experienced what might be called a 19th century version of living doubled up during various episodes in her adult life. One of these periods spanned the years of 1866 to 1875. Those were years bookended by significant events in the development of Christian science, the religious movement that Eddie founded. In 1866, Eddie experienced a transformational healing that marked her discovery of Christian science, and in 1875, she published the first edition of Science and Health, which would become the foundational text for Christian science as science and health with key to the scriptures. In those intervening years, Eddie found the resilience to develop teachings and writings on Christian science, even without, as famed writer Virginia Woolf might have put it, a room of her own. Here with me to discuss this important period in the development of Eddie's thought and experience are two individuals who have written articles about Eddie's life as it related to housing security and living doubled up, if you will, in a 19th century context. I'm pleased to welcome Rivi Feinsilber, who is assistant archivist at the library. Hello, Rivi. Hello, glad to be here. Rivi is the author of a wonderful article called Mary Baker Eddy and the Wentworths, which is featured in the From the Collection series on the library's website. Her piece discusses Eddy's experience living with the Wentworth family during the years of 1868 to 1870. And joining you, Rivi, and me is Mike Davis, senior research archivist at the library and author of How Did Eddy Face Times of Housing Insecurity? which is published in the Ask a Researcher section of the library's website. Welcome, Mike. Thank you, Jonathan. I'm happy to be here, too. It's great to be with both of you and to learn from you about what all of this meant for Mary Baker Eddy and how perhaps it reflected greater issues that were going on in her time. So, Mike, I'm wondering if we could start with you and get an overview of the significance of housing for Eddy in her life, and particularly during this period of 1866 to 1875. Well, for many years, Mary Baker Eddy could be said to not have had a home of her own. Right. And uh, according to one estimate, she moved 70 times or approximately 70 times during her lifetime. And um, I think most of us don't enjoy moving when we have to move. <laughs> so no. uh, one can imagine what a trial this often was for Eddie to move around so much. But there were reasons for this. Um, 
When she was a child and a young woman, her housing situation was stable. Her mm -hmm. father, Mark Baker, provided a stable home for her. Then in 1843, she married a young man named George Washington Glover and moved with him to the Carolinas in the South. And it seemed that since he was a building contractor, that he would be able to provide a a stable housing situation too, but he died after they were only married six months, leaving her pregnant, and she moved back to New England. And really, this was sort of the beginning of housing instability for her. This was mm -hmm. even before 1866 when she discovered Christian science. Uh, she was trying to raise her son after he was born, but members of her family didn't take to the son, and the son was given to a woman named Mahala Cheney, and Mahala and her husband, Russell Cheney, began raising the boy. They moved to a town named North Groton, New Hampshire. In the meantime, Eddie had married her second husband, a dentist named Daniel Patterson, and really wanted to be united with her son. So the Pattersons moved to North Groton, but Daniel Patterson would not take the boy in to live with them. And then the Cheneys moved to Enterprise, Minnesota in the far west at that time. And she didn't see her son again for many years thereafter. So you have that layered situation of not only unsettledness, but separation. Right, and the marriage with... Daniel Patterson had problems eventually, and he deserted her finally. And there was economic problems um, when they were living in North Groton, and they were living in a house that had been owned by one of Mary Baker Eddy's sisters. And because of these economic problems in society at that time, her sister felt she had to foreclose on the mortgage on the house. And Mary Baker Eddy was forced to move along with her husband. Mm. What do we know of how that disruption affected her? She wrote a poem at that time talking about her anguish of losing her home. And she starts out by saying, Father, didst not thou the dark wave treading lift from despair the struggler with the sea? And seest thou not the scalding tears I'm shedding? And knowest thou not my pain and agony? For my sick soul is darkened unto death. But she ends the poem by saying, The strong foundations of my early faith shrink from beneath thee. Whither shall I flee? Hide me, O rock of ages, hide in thee. And this shows Mrs. Eddy's Christian faith reasserting itself. It sometimes is asked if she prayed about her housing situation, and I haven't found many references to that, but this poem indicates that in the end she was turning to God for refuge in, in this housing crisis. Mm. So after her husband deserted her, she was left in a very precarious financial condition. This would have started in around 1866 after she had the healing uh, which she designated the discovery of Christian science. And this began a long period of living in other people's homes. Because of financial conditions in society and the legal status of women at the time, many women at that period and families would take in boarders, renters and boarders, to live in their homes uh, to bring in some extra income, and probably they felt it was a charitable thing to do as well. 
And so this is kind of the main theme of Eddie's life uh, during this period of housing instability, of living in other people's homes. A home of her own was always important to her, but it was many years before she was able to have a home of her own. She once said, uh, the strongest tie I've ever had apart from love of God has been my love of home. And um, she also, in her book, Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures, said home is the dearest spot on earth. But it was uh, quite a trial for her to spend so many years living in other people's homes. And living in their homes often presented problems in living with these people, especially since she was trying to write about Christian science and practice healing at the same time, often living with people who were not sympathetic to what she was doing. This is sort of the background of this period. Um, she did have some good experiences living with some of these people, too. It wasn't all bad, but um, <laughs> you know, some of it was pretty challenging. Well, Rivi, I think your article is about one of those more positive living experiences of living in somebody else's home. Am I right about that in terms of her experience of about 18 months in 1868 to 1870 with the Wentworths in Stoughton? Uh, yes. Generally, it was a positive experience. Um, there was some tension with the oldest son who was out of the house, Horace Wentworth, who... Um, was openly critical of Mary Baker Eddy, as was his wife. But within the home, it was positive. A year into the living situation, Sally Wentworth, the matriarch of the family, mm -hmm. and Mary Baker Eddy came into a business transaction, made up a contract that Mrs. Eddy could stay there in exchange for teaching Sally Wentworth how to heal. Additionally, Mrs. Eddy also healed almost all of the members of the family. That's marvelous to hear, Rivi, that Mary Baker Eddy, even in this sort of stressful period of her life, was able to bring a greater experience of health and well-being uh, to the to the Wentworths. So what were some examples of that uplift and renewed health that she brought? Yeah, absolutely. So Allison, the head of the household, um, had sciatica and hip trouble that Mary Baker Eddy healed, as well as um, alcohol and tobacco use. So she also healed him of that. Um, Sally, the matriarch, had a chronic throat disease, not specified, but um, Mrs. Eddy was able to heal her of that. Also, Celia had an undisclosed illness that Mrs. Eddy treated, and then Lucy was cured of deafness. And then Lucy, the youngest daughter, grew very close to Mary Baker Eddy and mm -hmm. met her for walks after school. Her and her brother could come into the room and play. So um, she actually even said that she felt that an angel had come into their home. So on the whole, it was a good experience. She had the largest room. She was able to write. It wasn't science and health, but it was the start of piecing together what would become later Christian science. But I think as much as it was a positive experience, it was temporary. Mm -hmm. And so though 
I haven't found anything pointing to her talking about anxiety about finding a new place. I would imagine that because it wasn't her own place for her, she could rely on staying there for an extended time, that she was always looking for another home. And of course, how she was going to afford it, whether it be through money or exchange of services. And we know through various psychological and physical studies that housing insecurity affects people's mental and physical health. Mm. That constant worry and anxiety of securing a home. And I think also, as Mike said, she called home the dearest spot on earth. It seems she was always wanting to return to that stability that she had as a child. Yeah. Well, what you're saying, it certainly resonates with this Christian Science Monitor article, which focuses on a couple of families here in the Boston area, both of which are are single mom families, situations where they're having to kind of either try and fit in with a, a relative, but not feeling that they can ever establish a rhythm or a schedule that's suitable for themselves and their needs that they have to accommodate the primary family or or someone else who is just constantly having to move from one situation to another and really at a, at a loss as to uh, how to center themselves. And as you point out, Rivi, especially for the children in these situations, but for really for all people involved, it causes a certain degree of suffering in terms of how well they're able to perform professionally and in other aspects of their lives. So, you know, Mike and Rivi, I find it remarkable that Mary Baker Eddy was able to achieve all that she did uh, during these periods of housing instability. What were these stepping stones that she was making in the development of her thought and in her writings during this period? Well, after... Her healing in 1866, which she later identified as the point of her discovery of Christian science. Previous to that, she had been a patient of a magnetic healer named Phineas Parkhurst Quimby. Mm -hmm. And uh, she had absorbed some of his ideas, and he had absorbed some of her ideas. And in articulating Christian science to the world, which finally took place when Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures was published in 1875, she was gradually eliminating uh, some of Quimby's beliefs from her thinking, which contradicted Christian science. Right. And so the writing and the studying and the healing work she was doing during this period of housing instability, a lot of that was going on during this period. And she would have these manuscripts that she was working on and carry them around from place to place in a trunk. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes some of the uh, problems she encountered with the people she was living with was that she would try to explain her developing ideas to them, Mm. and they were not receptive at all. Sometimes she lived with spiritualists, and they would have her sit through seances with them, and she was opposed to spiritualism. Well, one situation that she was in that illustrates some of this, I think, is when in 1867, uh, she ended up living at the home of the Webster family. Um, Nathaniel Webster was a sea captain who was often away from home, and his wife, known as Mother Webster, was a spiritualist and a medium. And uh, Mary Baker Eddy found a a home there for about 10 months. So I think 
that in that case than in other spiritualists that she came in contact with, she had experiences which she later incorporated into her book, Science and Health, about the problems that she had with spiritualism. So there were some positive aspects to that part of it. But she would also, once again, alienate uh, these people when she would argue against spiritualism. And so it wasn't always a congenial uh, situation in that sense. And then William Ellis, who was Mother Webster's son-in-law, would have his children spend the summer at the Webster's home, and he would come in and clear out these people that she was taking care of in her home. And so he turned Mary Baker Eddy and another boarder there, Richard Kennedy, out onto the streets. Mm. Her trunk and herself and Richard Kennedy were all put out there along with a woman named Mrs. Richardson on a dark and stormy night. There was quite a rainstorm going on. They were just put out on the street. And so Mrs. Richardson led them down in the street to the home of Sarah Bagley, who took them in. It's interesting that uh, Mary Baker Eddy was never reduced to actually living on the street. Somehow, another place would open up for her to live, although it often wasn't the greatest place for her. The housing instability finally came to an end when she bought her own home, which was on Broad Street in Lynn, Massachusetts. And this was around the year 1875. So after that, things really changed. She was able to have housing stability after that, and she was able to make ends meet for herself by bringing in renters into these properties that she owned. She even owned another home in Lynn, Massachusetts that she would rent out to people. So then uh, the money she brought in from sales of Science and Health once it was published in late 1875 were very helpful too. So from then on, she didn't have any worries about housing after that. Right. So in 1875, Mike, you were saying she buys herself a home in Lynn. And Mary Baker Eddy is often thought of and is credited as being an extremely capable businesswoman. To what extent do you see this period, 1866 to 1875, as formative for her in developing an aptitude for business? Well, she needed to learn to do what she needed to do to make it through all these uh, housing changes and uh, the problems that came with them. And, you know, she could enter into contracts with some of the people, as Rivie points out that she did with the Wentworths. But she just seemed to have a knack for knowing how to make ends meet and to um, to be a, a businesswoman. We see that really blossoming after she's in her own home there in Lynn, Massachusetts, uh, with her renting out rooms to people and making money from teaching and the sales of science and health with key to the scriptures. And she eventually learned how to invest money. You know, she really developed, I think, into an excellent businesswoman. And a lot of it, I think, came from having to do what she needed to do during this period that we've been discussing. Right. Yeah, she got her business education on the ground, as it were, through life experience and hard knocks to some extent. Um, But then in terms of a sense of family, as you point out, Mike, she was separated from her son, which was a very grievous experience for her. But what 
finally for her constituted family as she came out of this experience and did find housing stability for herself? Well, uh, one of the things that happened was that she would then have people come into her home, and Mm -hmm. I think she attempted um, with a number of these people to develop a sense of family with them. For instance, at the Massachusetts Metaphysical College, which existed in Boston, she had founded it, and it was there in Boston during the 1880s. She would have uh, a number of her students living in the college, as she did herself for a number of those years, and so that could provide a sense of family. She gradually had employees who stayed with her, like her secretary, Calvin Fry, was with her for 28 years. Talk about a home office. She had a home office for uh, many years and would mm-hmm. have these household workers who really constituted a family. And the, there are reminiscences in the collection that talk about what a family sense that these people developed in living in her household. So for somebody who's interested in this subject of housing insecurity historically in Mary Baker Eddy's time and in the region of the country where she primarily lived here in, uh, in New England, what do our collections have that would be meaningful for somebody with that interest? Well, they have a lot of the things we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, there's really, we can only scratch the surface in this podcast of all these moves that she made and the right. people she lived with and sometimes colorful characters that she encountered along the way. So, and the reasons why people were doing this, all of these things are in the collection and can be studied. And y- you could write much longer articles. I mean, Rivy's mm-hmm. written this nice article about the Wentworths, and I did sort of an overview of it. But there's just so much material there, and biographies go into a lot greater depth than on some of the material. But usually a good rule to think of is there's a lot more in our collections than people have even made use of yet um, in studying these things. Right. Rivy, if you were to pursue this line of inquiry further from your article, what would you want to explore? Oh, that's a good question. I think diving deeper into her sense of what home meant, as Mike said, you know, she was filling her house like at Pleasant View and then Chestnut Hill with people to to be a surrogate family and, and just seeing that relationship. What makes a home? Is it the people? Is it the security that it is yours? Is it both? And just to dive deeper into that and see how Mrs. Eddy thought of it and if there's anything to the larger picture of the area and the time and what made a house a home. All of this conversation makes me think of what I understand to be Mary Baker Eddy's favorite psalm. The 91st Psalm was something that was very important to her. And it begins, he, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I'm just curious, do you think you know, that sort of concept was something that uh, she always held to in, in good times and, and bad? Yeah, I think it was. Mike, I, I think too, circling back to the poem that you mentioned at the top of our episode that when she created that poem after she lost her home when it was being foreclosed on, it connects to Psalm 
91 that when she did not have a physical home, she had a spiritual home through God, as you know, it says in Psalm 91, he is my refuge and my fortress. So she found a place to spiritually and emotionally feel at rest when she was trying to find a physical space to live and to work on what would become Christian science. I'm so glad you brought that up, Rivi, about Mary Bakerty's poetry in connection with the 91st Psalm. It reminds me of an earlier podcast episode called Psalms of Life, Mary Baker Eddy in 19th century American poetry. In it, we explored the importance of poetry in that time period for Americans and for Mary Baker Eddy. It was really in and through poetry in her time that the interior life of people found a home and expression, what we might think of as the psychological turned up in the poetic. So thank you, Rivi, for making that connection. And thank you so much for giving us a picture of what it was like for Mary Baker Eddy to find a more or less happy situation with the Wentworth family during this period of trial when she didn't have property of her own or a home of her own. Thank you for the sensitivity you brought to your article also, Rivi. It's, it's a wonderful piece. Oh, well, thank you for the opportunity to, to go more in depth. I've enjoyed it. Oh, good. And Mike, thanks so much for uh, giving us really a strong narrative of all the <laughs> moves that accompanied Mary Baker Eddy's life story, the, the insecurity that, that she faced, and how she found security for herself within that insecurity. Well, thanks uh, for having me on, Jonathan, and thank you. And um, I think that this is a very important topic, especially in today's times as well. Well, thanks so much, Mike. Thanks so much, Rivi. It's been great to, uh, to get a deeper sense of what all of this meant during Mary Baker Eddy's experience, how in spite of all those challenges, how she uh, kept her eye on the prize and, and moved forward. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on Mary Baker Eddy as she faced housing insecurity during formative years of developing her teachings and writings on Christian science. Also, a reminder about our Seekers and Scholars survey. It's still up if you haven't completed it yet. You can find it at mbelibrary.org survey or a link to it in the descriptor for this episode. It's short to the point, and thank you for giving it a look. I hope you can join us for our next episode. It will offer an exciting journey into the intersection of women, spirituality, and abstract art. Our guest is Dr. Anne Browdy of the Harvard Divinity School, who has been at work teaching and writing about this subject, which includes looking at the creative endeavors of her grandmother, Vicki Sperry, a Christian scientist whose art Dr. Browdy has dubbed Christian Science Expressionism. I'm Jonathan Eder. Thank you for listening to Seekers and Scholars. This podcast was produced by the Mary Baker Eddy Library. Copyright 2022.